Thank you for listening to Tail Chase. On this episode, me, Nick Mazzara, and my good friend Graham Scarborough talk turkey. We take a little hiatus from falconry, as well as the Selena saga, to go over some of the time that me and Graham have shared in the turkey woods, as well as some of my escapades this year chasing long beards down here in southwest Missouri. Thanks for listening, and hope you enjoy. Listening to the Tail Chase podcast. This is Nick Mazzara. Graham Scarborough. What did we just spend the day doing, Graham? Uh, dragging a three year old around. <laughs> um, yeah. No, we went fishing. We took him fishing. Uh, was not the best outing of fishing. Um, but it was alright. Went to some of our old haunts and. And I uh, did catch one nice, about two, two and a half pound bass on a top water frog, which is always exciting. Which is the only way to fish, in my opinion. <clears throat> until you've caught one that big on a fly, and then you'll probably change your mind. Mm, yeah, I mean, I would imagine that fight would be pretty fun, but good luck landing one in the weeds. In the weeds, yeah. yeah. There's a reason why I threw a heavyweight rod with 50 pound braid. Yeah. But, I mean, I... I'm being facetious. I like fishing lots of different ways, but and soft-bodied topwater frogs are just so much fun to fish. The yeah blow-ups are you know the the bites are super exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, involved. Yeah. Just... Well, and even within that, there's difference of style. Like you like to kind of skip yours across the top, like a frog that's running from a. A fish, you know, that's maybe already been hit once and is trying to hightail it to cover, whereas I generally tend to walk it, you know, which is when you flip it back and forth. Yeah, and I'll do a varied retrieve, so I'll do, because if you watch how a frog typically does that maneuver, it's like, you know, you step on the bank and you're too close to it, it freaks it out and it does that, you know, series of 10 or 15 jumps, and then it kind of stops or dives down. It doesn't do it for, you know, the full length of what a normal cast would be. So a lot of times I'll do that skip, 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 skip for around the same amount of time. Then I'll stop and do that walk. You know, they call it walking the frog where, you know, you leave a little bit of slack in the line, pop it, and it the shape of the hole of the frog, you know, it's kind of like a boat hole. And so it makes it go to one side or the other. Oh, Okay, a hole like H U L L. Okay, yeah. I thought you were like H O L E. I no. was like frog hole. Nope, don't know what that <laughs> is. Okay, yes, yeah, it is like a hole of a boat. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah, because when you're skipping it, it's like a boat on plane. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you're walking it, you know, it's it may come up on plane for a second. It usually kind of makes a little bit of a popping noise. It looks kind of like a frog thrashing or or something up on the top of the water thrashing, and mm-hmm. both are effective. Yeah, um, at well, different times depending I, on what the fish are looking for. I think your your rod's also considerably stiffer than mine, and I think that that makes for yeah. I saw that little smile. <laughs> it makes for a considerably um, 
it makes it considerably easier to get it to pop the way you make it pop. Yeah. And my rod is actually not really meant for frogging. You know, it's a medium my, action rod. And my the setup that I use is a dedicated frog doctor. I mean, you can use it for other stuff, but yeah. I spent the money on it to use it for that. Like it's a right. heavyweight rod that doesn't have a lot of bend, mm-hmm. and the reel is a lot of revolution, like you know, a high gear. So at every mm-hmm. one turn of the uh, crank crank basically mm-hmm. turns the barrel that reel that you know that the line spools on mm-hmm. more times than some other reels right most of the other stuff that i fish with so yeah so you're more equipped for it yeah. for that style yeah it comes at a price so it was not a cheap setup was it no no it wasn't but it is a lot of fun to fish with and man when they are hitting top water and you can go out and catch you know double digits of fish and sometimes you know three four really really nice fish in a night yeah on top water that is a lot of fun but you know i don't know i i I do like the explosion and the excitement of top water fishing but i also i do like not knowing like like there's a bit of mystery when something hits your bait underwater or hits your lure underwater there is and i like and when you when you set that hook on like like if you're fishing a Texas rigged worm mm-hmm. and you feel a couple bumps and then you really set that hook hard and it doesn't like give mm-hmm. it like <clears throat> and you know that you just hooked into something real solid. Yeah. I, and it's uh, mysterious. You're like, How big is this thing? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. So that I do I do appreciate that about fishing stuff underwater. Yeah. But I was fishing this pond up around Bolivar, and first time I had fished it, wasn't sure exactly what was there, um, and had been fishing for a while and hadn't really had any... Actually, no, I take that back. Rayon had been fishing for a while, and he had caught a couple of bluegill. Oh, cool. Um, by himself. And I threw out a wacky rig. It's not really a Senko worm, but I was fishing it like a Senko chartreuse the first cast uh, which um, for all you uninitiated out there a Senko worm is looks kind of very very similar to an earthworm when it's kind of scrunched up you know it's about six inches long and you know, equally weighted right you know it's just like a tube and it, but yeah. uh, but if you say tube to a bass fisherman they're gonna think you mean something else it's yeah, like it's, tube. it's it, it's uh, stick kind of it's right just a like solid a, a solid solid six inch about a little bit bigger around than a pencil um soft plastic yeah so like you know flex very very flexible mm-hmm. and when i say a wacky rig uh, i mean you just hook it in the middle and so when you cast it out it kind of flutters down slowly mm-hmm. and it's very effective at catching bass, I think. Some mm-hmm. people, um, that I, I think it's a pretty common way to, to yeah, fish for largemouth. Yeah. And this one was bright, bright chartreuse because the water was pretty cloudy. And I'm retrieving it, and there's some weeds on the bank. Felt a little bit of resistance. And so I went to kind of pop it out of the weeds, 
because I wasn't expecting a bite, and zing, it started pulling drag on me, Ooh. and it, uh, I was like, oh, that's a that's a pretty good fish. I wonder what, you know, it's kind of one of those like ooh moments, and it was pretty short lived because it came up, jumped, thrashed, like they do, and threw the bait, and it came up, and it was probably a three pound bass, mm. which is all like. It's always a nice surprise when you're not really expecting much of anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's that been like fishing with Raylan? Like, he how old is he now officially? Three. Turned three in December. So can he cast by himself? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I took him out. Uh, this he's been out fishing a handful of times over the past year or so, mm-hmm. and he's caught fish. But it's always kind of been somebody else cast it out. A lot of times they even hook the fish, myself included, mm-hmm. um, and then hand him the rod and let him yeah. ring it in, which isn't that much fun, especially when you're ringing in bluegill. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty easy. Yeah. And then we took him out, uh, oh, when was it? Probably three, four weeks ago with his grandpa and. Um, is this your dad or Devin's dad? Devin's dad, my okay. wife. And he caught a few where we cast it out for him and all that. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to see about how much of the process he can do at three years old. So I tried to let him hook the worm because he likes handling worms. And he mm-hmm. couldn't quite get figured out how to do that without poking himself. Uh-huh. And so I kind of helped him do that. And then I said, here you go, kid. Uh-huh. And he's practiced casting in the parking lots and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few times on the water uh, we're there, he casts out, first cast, it ends up right on the bank. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting ready to take it from him and trying to get him untangled. And bloop, bobber goes under. <laughs> and he reels it in himself, pulls up a green sunfish. Awesome. Green, green sunfish. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was pretty Did you cool. Take a picture of it? Yep. Yep. Right and that day, uh, he caught three or four more all by himself. Awesome. Yeah. I don't, <clears throat> I haven't seen many green sunfish. Are they kind of a southern, cleaner water type thing? No, are they're, they they're up here. Okay. Yeah. You've probably caught them and not realized. Okay. They're, they look pretty similar to a, a bluegill. Okay. I do like all those panfish. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful, especially like, uh, well, green sunfish, red uh, ear sunfish, long-eared mm-hmm. sunfish. I've caught some beautiful little panfish down in the Ozarks, mm-hmm. and they're just, you know, vibrant, bright colors. Yeah. yeah. Very beautiful little things. Yeah. They're really cool. Uh, it's been a lot of fun fishing with him. It's also been really frustrating from time to time, you know, three-year-old only has so much attention span and yeah. he's a lot lower to the grounds like you saw today where we're trying to walk through the weeds and he's eh, 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 arms mm-hmm. up come get me mm-hmm. and so i gotta carry him which you know it's all part of being a dad i get it you know there's times when i get to go out by myself uh and there's times when i get to share that passion with him which i you know i enjoy both of those mm-hmm. things they, for different reasons so it's been really rewarding seeing the joy on his face mm-hmm. doing these things. Uh, one moment in particular, 
you know, I'm not not too proud to admit it brought tears to my eyes was this past falconry season when I caught uh, a couple of things with him on my back. Uh-huh. Um, and so this is actually what I was going to write up a blog post about. Uh-huh. Because it was, it was one of those times in my life when everything just kind of clicked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had told you this season... I've flown red tails primarily for the last 10 years, and or uh, even more than that, 12 or 13. Okay. And while I love them, and they will always hold a special place in my heart, and I will probably fly them, you know, on and off for as long as I'm able, you kind of get into these habits, or these routines, where you've kind of been there, done that. Mm-hmm. And this year, I had a really good bird. We hunted a lot of the same spots just because I knew that we could consistently find slips. And it kind of got to feel a little stale. Mm-hmm. And I took Raylan out. It was kind of towards the end of the season. I've got a pack that I can carry him on my back as well as my falconry gear and I had put him in these rubber boots and we're down uh, chasing gray squirrels down around where I live in Bolivar mm-hmm. and man it's like for those of you who have never done it it's a pretty involved thing typically to you're you know you're grabbing vines, you're whacking trees with sticks, running your tree up and down, making scraping noises. If you see a hollow or you have a squirrel that you see goes into a hole, trying to keep the squirrel moving because their number one defense mechanism is immobilization. Mm-hmm. So they will go to a spot that the bird can't see them and freeze. Mm-hmm. And... It's your job to keep them moving so that the hawk can see them because a lot of times it takes multiple shots at a squirrel before the bird holds on to it. You know, they might grab it, but it, they don't get their feet on it firmly enough to rip it off of the tree or, you know, to hold whatever the squirrel gets loose. Mm-hmm. Or they miss altogether because the squirrel jukes them and yeah. all kinds of crazy stuff. Right. So it's a pretty involved thing, and so I'm running around trying to keep that happen, you know, keep the squirrel moving, and his boots kept falling off, <laughs> which I'm like... <coughs> and he's on your back, He's right? on my back. On your and backpack. S- yep, and okay. so his legs are dangling down right at where the brush is, <laughs> so he's getting scraped up and complaining, and it's worse whenever his boots are off, because then his feet are, so I'm trying to keep his boots on and eventually I just stuff them down in my coat at this point like I'm trying I had told myself whenever we left the truck because I had taken him a few times it just didn't work out I got frustrated and we went home uh, without catching anything and so I'd stuff the boots down in my coat and it was just trying to avoid the thick brush and we got up a rabbit which I was Down not... there, that's not very common. No. no. Right? Now, this spot that I was at, I was like, yeah, I could see rabbits being around here, and I was yeah. right. And Asp saw it, took off, 
thought she had missed from that way that her stoop was. You know, you know how a lot of times when you're, they're in the woods and they're coming in behind them, that's a pretty yeah. typically a pretty low percentage shot. So, uh, to explain this, when a bird is coming in behind a rabbit, the rabbit is running, you know, eight inches or less off the ground. You know, like right. that's that's it, its window that it operates in, mm-hmm. and there's typically not a whole lot in its way at that level. Right. Like it can usually run pretty unencumbered. Mm-hmm. And there's a big stand of like buck brush, which is kind of like the best way to think about it, it's kind of like a small tree, mm-hmm. a small sparsely limbed tree. So at the base, it's kind of a stem for about six or eight inches or so, and then it kind of branches out a little bit. And that will hang a hawk up, among other things, multifloral rows, all kinds of stuff in the woods, that if the bird comes in and tries to follow closely behind the rabbit, they'll get caught up because they have a much larger footprint. You know, they're four feet wide Mm -hmm. at the wings, you know, in order to keep moving. They can tuck them in uh, momentarily to get into a spot where the rabbit is but in order to keep that momentum they need that wingspan out mm-hmm. and so their wings will catch on stuff and slow them down and then the rabbit gets away and that's what i thought had happened because she came in real shallow behind the rabbit and i kind of stand there for a second and i'm like raylan did you see that that was pretty cool huh? and he's like yeah yeah she chased a rabbit mm-hmm. and then i hear the rabbit start squealing I was like, oh, she held on to it. So I get over there, and she had the thing. And I, uh, in order to get the rabbit into my pack, I have to get Raylan off of my back. Because Mm -hmm. the backpack that I have, the zipper is, you know, in the small of my back, and I can't reach it to get the rabbit into my pack. So I get him off my back, and he says to me without any prompting, that's so cool, Dad, she caught a rabbit. Mm-hmm. And it was just like he gets it like at this age I can't believe it like he gets it this is a really cool thing just seeing the smile on his face mm-hmm. was awesome yeah and then I was like that to me was worth a good like that's a good day and so I'm thinking about calling it quits but we were pretty early in the hunt and so I asked Raylan mm-hmm. do you want to keep going so real quick that that look that you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, after you finish this, I want to tell you, that reminded me of a story of my own that I want to tell you about. Okay. So, I'll remind me, and we'll get to it. So, we kept going, and it got a little grueling again, chasing this one gray squirrel, uh, you know, trying to make it happen, trying to make it happen. It finally made it to a hole after she took a swipe at it and there was an audible thud of either her wing hitting or a foot hitting this vine that the Mm -hmm. squirrel was on so i'm like shoot like did she get hurt like it was a loud smack yeah and so i kind of give her a second she kind of was looking a little dazed up in the tree but she was fine um and so we kept going and ended up finding another one and caught it right in front of us right in front of me and Raylan. And mm-hmm. it was the same that he was like, well, she caught two, Dad. I, that's great. She caught a squirrel. Uh-huh. And so that was the first mixed bag double mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I had ever caught. And to have him there, like, 
and see the appreciation on his face, like it just reignited some of that passion for me. I was like, this, you know, is something that I need to make sure I'm not taking for granted mm-hmm. because this is something incredibly special. Not that I was taking it for granted, but it, like I said, it does, you do the same thing enough times and it just, it kind mm-hmm. of loses some of that splendor and that fire that you have initially whenever you get into sport and you're still just kind of learning, mm-hmm. um, which I'm always learning, but you know, like I said, I've, I've done this for a while, so it's not like it's, there aren't that many surprises anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so just to see, see him, like recognize that this is something cool, and to see that appreciation on his face was a, a pretty special moment. Yeah, worth the hassle of packing thirty five extra pounds and dealing with mm-hmm. boots slipping off and yeah, not being able to go exactly where you want because you know you don't worry about poking somebody else's legs and all that. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the story about what, um, what you were saying. <clears throat> well, I think it's a pretty common thing for people who, uh, um, not not to be a self-proclaimed master, but when you get pretty good at something and you do it over and over again, and it does start to to lose the the whatever factor that like got you that just like flipped a switch mm-hmm. in the first place. Um, I think a lot of people then transition into trying to give other people that experience, you know? Yes. And um, so uh, one time that, that stands out in my mind, and you talk about this look, and I'll show you a picture of the look that I'm talking about, and I think you'll know what I'm saying. Um, so I took my girlfriend to uh, Colorado in October, and she maybe had done a little bit of fishing like maybe just casting out a worm and a bobber i'm not sure but she definitely never fly fished and um so i was teaching her how to check nymph which is basically like drop shotting with a fly rod so you have about 10 feet down to some uh split shot crimped onto the end of your line and then ten feet of line from the tip of your rod. From okay, so you have fly line, and then you have like leader, so like thirty to twenty to ten pound test, and then you have about eight inches of eight pound test that's yellow or pink or some other color, and then you just taper it on down to like four pound test fluorocarbon down at the very bottom. And crimped on the bottom of that fluorocarbon is split shot. And then so from the yellow part, it's about 10 feet in this case. It's variable depending on the depth that you're fishing, but in our case, it was about 10 feet. Gotcha. So um, then above that, about 20 inches, you uh, tie on a little fly that sticks off to the side. Above the split shot. Right. And then about 20 inches above that, another fly. So you can fish potentially up to three or four flies at a time. Um, but in my case, we were fishing two. So um, <clears throat> I'm teaching Jasmine how to cast this kind of awkward rig, and we're fishing um, in the morning uh, in this beautiful little um, tailwater uh, out west of Colorado Springs. This is her first experience in the mountains. We had gotten there right before dark the night before, camped, 
Woke up the next morning, stepped out of our car, saw a mule deer being chased by coyotes, like, right by our camp. Oh, cool. Um, and so, anyway, okay, so she's fishing, right? And uh, she had been trying earlier and not really had much luck, and I was kind of stressing because I'm like, okay, I have to make sure this is a good experience, right? And... Um, all of a sudden she feels a tug and she like lifts the rod and fish on and like you know there's just this kind of merry excitement like with someone who has never caught a fish like the thrill of like something alive on the end of your line that's fighting you and pulling and trying to get away and like I feel like if you could just put a rod in about anybody's hand and then attach a fish to it like you couldn't help but generate some form of excitement. Yeah. You know? So... And if, and if they... Like, if that doesn't excite you, that person needs a mental uh, mental check. <laughs> maybe. Um, so she... Uh, uh, so I get down there and I net the fish and it's this, like, 8, maybe 10 ounce... Or 10 inch... The 8 to 10 inch brown trout. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so she holds it up and, like... I took a picture of her, and it was cold. We were in the shade. We were kind of in this, not really a cavern, but a sunken place. You know, the sun hadn't reached us yet. And I got a picture of her face, and she's kind of looking back over her shoulder at me. And um, I don't know how to describe it, but she looks so alive in that photo. It's not a staged smile. It's not like, everybody ready? One, two, three, click. It's like a raw, like her face is red and kind of pink um, from the cold and from the excitement. And she's holding this fish, and you know that it's a totally foreign experience to her. But, like, if I could put that look on people's faces day in and day out, I would be a happy dude yeah like if i could just if i could instill that in people i'd be a happy man yeah no i get that for sure we haven't really sat down since and recorded one of these since uh falconry season have we Mm -hmm. the last one was after that hunt we did in kansas city all right so there's the photo i I had to pull up and show you yeah you know what i'm saying Mm mm-hmm yeah, very genuine excitement. Mm-hmm. Very genuine smile. Yeah. Um, so, turkey season is coming past. Uh-huh. We got to do a little bit of turkey hunting together. Yep. <laughs> that was a funny hunt. Why don't you tell that one? So then I'll tell. That hunt? Yeah, I'll tell. Uh, okay, so I, I haven't done much hunting on public land. Nick's done a little bit. Um... So I, I wasn't really sure what to expect, but we uh, I went down to visit him down there in South Missouri. We went out on this piece of public land, <clears throat> and uh, we get in there, and it's um, we were planning on just locating some birds early and then getting set up on them and calling them in. And I had gone out to this spot the night before <clears throat> with Raylan. And it heard and nothing. Hadn't heard a single No bird. gobbles. So... We go, uh, heard some whippoorwills, which is the first time I heard them in a while. 
Um, I heard some down in uh, Arkansas. Uh, no, no, down at Lake the Ozarks mm. over there. Yeah, cool sound. So, yes. uh, it's starting to get light, and we start making some owl calls. Uh, barred owl. B a r r e d. I hit your barred owl call. You want me to do that? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I want to do that on the air. People might make fun of me or something. No, no, that sounds good. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, here we go. So that's basically what a barred owl sounds like. And you do that, and a lot of times a turkey will gobble back at you. Now, it's called when they do that, it's called a shock gobble. Yeah. So it's not something that you're going to entice them with. in your direction. No. But it's something that you can use to locate them. Now, they turkeys shock gobble at all kinds of different noises. Pretty much anything loud noises. Yeah. They will gobble at. So Car horns, sirens, somebody's dog going. barking. Yeah. Clap yeah. your hands. Gunshot, even. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a very long list yeah. of different things. So... so but it's a very um, handy tool. Yeah. So we get these birds to gobble at us. We get set up. They're getting warmed up, gobbling, gobbling, gobbling. And we are about, how far are we from that lake? 200 yards? 100 yards? Yeah. Probably just about 200 yards. And we're about 100 yards from the birds. Okay. And so, well, initially we thought it was just one, so we're getting set up. And then we heard definitely two birds, so we're thinking, oh yeah, we're we could both tag out here. This is pretty sweet. Yep. So we uh, we get set up. Birds are talking, and then we hear a boat motor come rolling up, and they just they come rolling up right in the same direction that the birds are gobbling from, and then a few minutes after we hear the boat motor, we hear somebody hit a turkey call. And I don't know how to describe it exactly, but you can just, if you've been in the woods enough, you can tell when it's a person and when it's the real thing, unless you're really good. Unless you're good, and and I've heard turkeys, which I'll get into this story a little bit later, turkeys make noises that you would think, oh, that's somebody calling. Huh. But typically when you hear something, so a turkey hen is what a turkey hunter is imitating trying to entice a male turkey into your sphere of influence. And a turkey hen has a, when they call, a certain cadence, you know, meaning like a certain kind of rhythm that they typically follow. Volume. volume. I mean, they can be loud, but if you hear someone who's like calling fast, loud, and a lot, mm-hmm. it's probably a person. Right. And because we had heard the boat motor, yeah. we were, and like heard them stop. Yeah. Like we were, I mean, 99% certain that these hunters had pulled up on the shore and yeah. were coming in on the birds. Right. And shortly after that, the birds like almost completely shut up. Shut up, and I heard them fly down. Yeah. They spooked, they spooked them off the roost. Right. So that that uh, kind of ended our hunt. I did have a little bit of fun with the guy, because <laughs> I know that you know we could hear him calling and he could hear us. Well, it wasn't just them. We heard 
Yeah. There, right after the right after the one, another group came in. Yeah. And then I so either and I I couldn't tell if it was three separate groups, but there was a group of two and then two separate guys uh calling. So like three different people or groups of people calling. Mm-hmm. Like all to these same birds that they had busted and were not gonna come in anything because they had spooked them off the roost. Right. Uh yeah, so you so had a little bit of fun with them. Yeah. Well I was like, okay, so he hears me calling, so he's probably gonna come up here eventually. And what he what he was doing, which you're on public land, I get it. You know, there's gonna be pressure. I think people would would kill a lot more turkeys if they would kind of be a little more courteous. Now, granted, they didn't have any real way of knowing we were there, but every single time that you were calling, and you're a, a pretty darn good caller, I would say, he was answering you. Yeah. Now, hens can be fairly vocal, but a lot of the time they're just not. Like, or they're, you know, kind of, they call quietly. Mm-hmm. So when you have something in the woods that's, that is imitating a wild hen that's answering every single time you call, mm-hmm. it's probably somebody else, especially yeah. when you're on a known heavily pressured piece of public land. Yeah. And the guy, every single time you called, he was calling right back. Yeah. <laughs> and so you jokingly turned to me and said, should I rip an elk bugle on this reed? And I told you to go ahead and... <laughs> You did. So, yeah. I let out a couple bugles and some cow calls. And, and then, then some, we... And then some coyote calls. Yeah. And so <laughs> then we left and was, we got about 100 yards away and then yeah. looked back over our shoulder and he was standing right where we were sitting. Yeah. He had come so, right in. So if you so ever this, want to call in a hunter... Yeah. So this guy... Even if there's no elk in the area, let out an elk bugle yeah. and you'll bring him in. No, no ill will toward whoever this person was. No, but I mean, it was like it the was, setup was blown. Setup was blown. You hear somebody that to me was pretty obviously another hunter, yeah. and then most definitely another hunter. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there are no elk in this area of Missouri. There are elk here in this state, but yeah, not they're, there. They're four hours away. Yeah, and they're and, not bugling, and they're not bugling right after a turkey call, and then coyote calling right after that. And, like, so to come up, it was just very comical, to come up and walk literally where our decoys were standing, not three minutes before, after clearly knowing, like, hey, there was somebody here, rather than... To be like, oh, there's somebody there, maybe I should go the other way. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then we walked for, I don't know, another two, three miles. Got into some morel mushrooms, though. Yeah, picked up some morels. Wasn't a total loss. Nope. So... But you did have some success later in the season. Why don't you tell us about that? Yep, so I had some redemptive moments. Um, I went out uh, to scout the night before uh, on another day that I had to hunt on a different piece of public ground and called a little bit from the parking lot, same barred alcohol, and one fired up right, I mean three, four hundred yards away from the parking lot. So I walked over there. I think I spooked the bird. Couldn't be sure. But I knew, hey, there's at least birds in here. Walked another two, three miles. Didn't see or hear anything else. And was like, well, 
This is the best bet I've got. I'll come back tomorrow morning. So I set up a little bit of ways from where I had heard that bird the next morning. Heard birds far off calling, but absolutely nothing close to me. And I'm like, shoot. I'm looking on my map, uh, on my Onyx maps that I've got there for the area. And I'm like trying to gauge how far away these gobbles are that I was hearing that are now tapering off by the time I get stuff packed up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because how it works for those that uh, have not done much or any turkey hunting, turkeys will gobble a lot typically on the roost. Some mornings there are exceptions and there are individuals that are certainly exceptions to this within the turkey population. But it seems to go turkeys gobble a lot on the roost, maybe a little bit after they hit the ground. Yep. And then it kind of tapers off pretty quickly. They go pretty quiet once they're on the ground. Understandably so. They're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. A lot of toms get grabbed during turkey season by coyotes, bobcats, hunters, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Once everything likes to eat turkey. Oh, yeah. And um, so understandable that they don't want to be making this loud noise that lets everything know, hey, there's turkeys over here. You know, or, or they hesitate to do so more once they're vulnerable and on the ground. Right. Uh, so I knew that the kind of the pressure was on. At the, at these birds may totally shut up, and I won't be able to locate them. And I'm also looking at my map going, these birds very well could be on the whole other side of the lake that mm-hmm. I can't access. Mm-hmm. Um, so I start heading that direction. I'm walking, and something tells me, go ahead and stop and call. Yeah. And I'm, I kind of have this parallel in this field on my right, walking this uh, uh, mowed path. Uh, on A lot of times on these public pieces of ground, they'll have uh, like a, a unmaintained road. It's just a grass strip that they take a brush hog out and mow every so often so that they can get tractors in there to plant whatever they're wanting to plant out on these uh, pieces of public ground. So I'm walking that. I've got a field to my right, and I call, and a, okay, preface this by saying, I was the only truck in the parking lot whenever I parked. Mm-hmm. And in order to get to where I am, somebody would have had to uh, walk past me. Right. So I know that nobody came from that way. Yeah. Doesn't mean somebody couldn't have came in from the lakeside. Okay. So I call and hey, I hear yelps mm. back in my direction. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's like it's either a hen or a hunter. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like a hunter. Like it was close. And I kind of stand there for a second and I go, crap, did I just walk up on somebody else and spoil their hunt? Mm-hmm. Which I, you know, really trying to not do, and I kind of sit there for a second. I was like, "Well, if it was a hunter, if I call again, mm-hmm. they'll answer me, mm-hmm. most likely, because yeah. they're close enough. They probably see me, and I just don't see them. And they're probably telling me to leave or whatever, like they're calling to me, or maybe not. Mm-hmm. So I call nothing. Like, hmm. So wait a minute." Call again, nothing. Wait another minute, call one more time, 
it's pretty soft. Mm-hmm. Fires off again. I'm like the hen or a goblin. The, the hen. Okay. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Just a series of five or six yelps. Okay. And it's close, like close, close. Like I'm thinking mm. within forty yards, fifty oh, yards. Jeez. Now it could it you know it, yeah. the sound is deceptive, no. but it, it sounded incredibly close. And so I'm going, what the heck? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, if it's a hen, uh, the gobbles are further. Yeah. And if I spook her, I spook her. Mm-hmm. If it's a hunter, well, they're not saying anything. Yeah, but and she I don't might know. have a gobbler with her though. Yeah, but he's not saying anything, and there's and it's in the the calling is coming from thick brush. Okay. And I'm stand like I'm out in the open, so if they're right there, I'm like there's no chance I'm gonna kill this bird. Mm-hmm. And so, I walk a little bit further on this path. And at this point, the field has ended, and I've got an old grown-up field on my left that's kind of brushy, not somewhere that you'd imagine turkeys walking through, mm-hmm. and then uh, woods on my right. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking, and I'm like, uh, I'm like getting a little closer to where those gobbles were. Let mm-hmm. me go ahead and uh, call one more time. So I call instantly. It's Tom answers. Cool. And mm-hmm. he's definitely on my side of the lake mm-hmm. and so i'm like okay we're in business here and he's close enough that i'm like i think he's actually coming to me like i think he's cut some distance from where i was hearing them before and so i'm like looking to where i get set up i go to i, I see this big uh, cottonwood that's about i don't know two people could barely touch fingers mm-hmm. around this big old tree nice. and i Kind of look like, oh, I'll set up right there. Mm-hmm. Start to head towards it. I was like, you know what? I've had bad luck getting set up around big trees. Where if they get behind you, you can't see them. Mm-hmm. And they really key in. Like that movement of you poking your head around the mm-hmm. tree. Like they notice that big time. Because there's a defined line and they see that movement really easily. Right. For, I, I, I've, had, I've had blown setups where that happened. Where I like got sat behind a tree I can't tell what they're doing mm-hmm. and then I move and they key in on that movement and, and leave mm-hmm. so I turn around and I'm like if he's coming he's probably going to want to come out in the open and the only open is on this little road this little log you know kind of logging road thing and so I get set up in this old fence row mm-hmm. that's that's just a little bit into that feed, that grown up field to my left and there's a tree there so I lean up against that tree. I was carrying a single hen decoy mm-hmm. ready to deploy quickly if I got in on these birds. So I set that up in the road. I sit there. And right as I can, I'm telling myself, slow down. Make sure you pay attention to the setup. And that's when he shows up. No, no, no. Oh, okay. That would be my luck. <laughs> yeah. And I'm panicking about that. I'm like, go fast, but uh-huh. slow down. Because mm-hmm. if you go too slow, he could be coming in and be in your lap, and you'd never know it because you've got your back turned trying to get your pad set up correctly. Mm-hmm. But I told myself, I don't think he's quite that close. Take your time. Get things set up so that you can sit comfortably and sit really good and still, and that you're not, you know, so many times I've gotten sit down mm-hmm. and gone, crap, like I'm super uncomfortable, I can't sit still, and I mm-hmm. can bust the bird that way, or crap, I didn't see that tree right in the middle of where my shooting lane is going to be, taking up 
half of the lane. And so if he steps in the wrong, whatever. So I was trying to pay attention to those things. And right as I'm getting sit sit down, he gobbled again. Mm-hmm. So I knew, okay. You got another he, gauge of his yeah, distance. Yeah. yeah, and he's a little closer. Yeah. So And I knew, like, I didn't blow him, blow him out. Like, he didn't see me. He's still right there. And so I get sitting down, and I was like, okay, he's coming. I don't want to overcall, so I'm going to just give it a second. I'm going to get everything ready, so I give him a little slate call out. I wait. It felt like an eternity, but probably just a minute or so. Yeah. And I did a real soft call, and he answered right away. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. And he was so definitely... looking for you. Yeah, definitely a little closer, and... So I just sit, I wait, and he gobbled again. And he's closer, but I could hear he's coming to my right. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of shimmy that way a little bit, and I wait a little bit more, no gobbles. And again, just, I mean, barely touching this thing. It's it's amazing what they can hear. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I barely touch this thing, and he fires off again right away. So like this, he's, I'm going to see him any second. Mm-hmm. Again, it felt like five minutes, but it was probably 30, 45 seconds, minute, minute and a half. I don't know. If you had to guess, would you say that most people's mistake when it comes to calling is either over-calling or calling too loud? Yes. That would be your guess? Yeah. I, guess. I'm far from, like, this is only the third turkey I've ever killed. So Yeah. And this is the first one I've ever called in myself. Yeah. That I've shot. I've called in birds close. They just couldn't seal the deal on. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. It seems like I call too loud a lot of the time. I just don't get mm-hmm. the response. And, like, especially with this bird, like, mm-hmm. how how absolutely quiet I was being and he heard me. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, they they know. Mm-hmm. Like, if, uh, if there's a hen being super, super loud, mm-hmm. which does happen. I mean, I heard that one right yeah, before. Yeah, they will. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's not the norm. I've mm-hmm. heard hens up close, like had them around me multiple times, and it's barely audible from ten yards. Mm-hmm. A lot to of what you. they do to me. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I wait and I look through the woods, and then I see him, mm-hmm. and he's walking along. Is he strutting? Nope. Just walking. Just walking, feet. Huh. He he kind of put his head down, mm-hmm. pick some stuff up by himself. I thought so. Okay. So here he's coming to me, and he's coming off of uh, probably at my two thirty, three o'clock. Okay. And so I kind of get turned, which is what I was afraid he was going to do, mm-hmm. because past about three thirty or four, my shooting lane closes. Okay. And so I start to turn. Mm-hmm. And I have a bino harness on, which is a, you know, it holds your binoculars, goes around, the one I have goes around your back and has like a little mesh fabric on your back that the strap's attached to, one over your shoulders and the other under your armpit that go and connect and hold this thing, uh, you know, on your sternum. Mm -hmm. And I've got that on me and I go to turn and my bino harness catches on the barbed wire on this fence that's strung up along this tree. <laughs> and I can't yeah. turn far enough to get my gun aimed at the bird. And is he in shooting range at oh, this yeah. point? He's at like 35, 40. 
And he's he's he has no idea I'm there. Yeah. But I'm panicking. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like I'm pulling against it and I can't I I can't get turned enough. Mm-hmm. And it's like I've seen it happen where they they come into about that range mm-hmm. and they see something they don't like and they're gone. Yeah. Before you're able to do something, and it's one thing when it's out in the open, but he's in the woods. Mm-hmm. And so they disappear quick. Mm-hmm. They put that head down and run, and there's no way that you're going to squeeze a shot off in time. And so I'm trying to get this off without, you know, off of the fence without moving too much. And eventually I kind of shimmy a little bit. You know, there's a little bit of wiggle room, and I get my bead on my shotgun lined up mm-hmm. on his head. At this point, I'm like, okay. He's about to see the decoy. He's, he could come in and put on an absolute show at like 15 feet. Mm-hmm. But he could also leave. Mm-hmm. And this may be the last chance I get to hunt. And don't count your chickens before they hatch. So I decided, you know what, even though he's not doing the whole, you know, magnificent strutting you know, thing, the show that I love to see... I'm going to go ahead and take this bird. Mm-hmm. So I get lined up on him, take a deep breath, and I saw myself feel the trigger. And he's just feeding at this point? He's he, kind of no, picking he's, along? He's kind of head up, looking, mm-hmm. taking a few steps here and there. Okay. And so I shot him, dropped. And nice. then another bird was with him that mm-hmm. I didn't see, and I don't know if it was a hen or a tom. I would assume it was another tom or mm-hmm. a jake, but... I don't know. It mm-hmm. took off running. I'm pretty okay. sure. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff happens fast in those kind of instances, but it sure looked to me like another bird took off running. Um, yeah, and so I went up and right grabbed on. him, and he was the smallest bird that I've killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, do you, what are turkey. the dimensions on him? Do you remember? Uh, just under an inch spurs, and I think he had like just shy of it's like eight or nine inch beard. Okay. I think he was like a second year bird, probably. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess. But couldn't be more thrilled. It was yeah. super exciting to do it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, do it yourself, public land, mm-hmm. right? And just to have, like, I called that bird in. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it worked out. Like, he was coming into me. It wasn't like, you know, I've I, uh, done what's called turkey reaping, which you, you know, yeah. you crawl out behind a fan. Just like- which is. It's, it's fun. so dang effective. It is very effective. Now, you wouldn't want to do that on public land. No, and not in the woods either. And I have. You, oh. Not in the woods, but in a field. I, Out in the was, open. It was, nah. and it was on the edge of, a, edge of the woods, and I yeah, missed a bird that's asking year. to get shot in the face. Yeah. It, under normal circumstances, I would say, yeah, do not do that. But I was on a piece that I knew fairly well had been hunting a lot that year there mm-hmm. was a bird there that i saw for like 20 minutes i had been hunting right there all morning was able to slip out go grab the fan and come back mm-hmm. and nothing had disturbed him mm-hmm. so like if there was somebody there yeah like no nobody else is calling nobody had spooked him like i was pretty like safe in assuming that there was nobody out there yeah and i only went with the fan where I had already been and knew, like, hey, there's not somebody standing right here that's going to shoot me. Yeah. But I missed him at 
like eight feet. Yeah. When I made a mistake and came up over the fan. Man. Turkeys. <sighs> they, so you were the one, like you introduced me to turkey hunting, really. I think. Yeah. I, the first bird I ever killed was next to you. Yeah. That was a good hunt. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Should we tell that one, or should we save that for another time? Um, I know we're wanting to talk about Selena a little bit, but I think we're probably going to have to end this one, and we'll start another one about her. This we're already about an hour. Okay. Uh, we can tell that hunt. Yeah. But you got me into turkey hunting. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, I don't remember what I was gonna, where I was going with that, but. Well, my thought on it is, is you know how we were talking about how when you get fairly good at something and then you start trying to pass it on to other people. Mm -hmm. Turkey hunting is one of the first things that I started trying to pass on to other people. Gotcha. I got fairly good at it, killed a number of them, and then it kind of became my mission to like get as many other people birds as I could in a year. And like one year, I think I helped you, a girlfriend, Tristan, and my dad all kill turkeys before I killed one. Mm-hmm. So, like, technically, which I was in on five turkey kills in one, yeah, year, in one season, which is cool. I'm pretty proud of that. Which is interesting, because you can't shoot a shotgun to save your life. No. <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. I, and I trace it back to shooting slugs through a 12-gauge. That, and not being, like, a good, disciplined well, shooter when I you, started doing You that. also, like, I mean... I think pretty much the only time of year you pull a trigger on a gun is when you're turkey hunting. So I don't know if you like want you to did. announce that over the air, but <laughs> you just don't uh, do that much shooting. I which, mean, well, <laughs> once I got like proficient, I don't know what, what I'm getting at. Graham has a bad flinch. I do now. Yeah. I didn't before, but I uh, now. you've had a bad flinch for a long time. Pretty much as long as I've been turkey hunting with you, you've had a bad flinch because I'm pretty sure that year you missed a number of times that same year. Which is part of the reason why you were the last one in the people that you had to kill a bird. Not to burn yeah. bread on you. But that's the truth. Yeah. I mean, that's the truth. You have a bad flinch. We worked yeah. at, like, it's something that takes practice, and I had helped you do some, Not that I am, again. Yeah, no. I'm not, but, not a master yeah. by any means, but I do. I have had a flinch in years past, and I know some techniques to kind of work through that. Yeah. And we had done that, but we haven't shot together in a long time. No. And it, like, it's nothing to be ashamed of. There are a lot of people that are that way. I have a flinch a lot of the time whenever I'm not really paying attention Mm -hmm. to what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, You know, there's been times whenever I forget to flick the safety off, think I don't have a flinch and got it kicked, and go, yeah, a little bit of a jerk. Yeah. And go, okay, calm down. You need to focus on your shooting process and not on the lust for the animal that you have in front of you. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, what I, I remember what I was gonna say. Turkeys, I love them and hate them. Like mm-hmm. you kind of were always like, why don't you like turkey hunting? Because I used to not like it as much as I do now. And it's because, like with deer, they're kind of predictable. It like yeah, there there are definite surprises and definite things that come up. But turkeys, like you never know why it didn't work out. Well, like, but the thing is, turkeys are vocal. Deer, it's like, you, you go and you crawl into your stand, and you're like, you hope to see something. You never you hope know. to see a big one, but you're not really expecting. You're not like, yeah. 
I'm communicating with this deer right now, and my experience tells me that something should happen here. That's that's what it is. It's Turkeys, either, it's you're either talking to them, they taunt you, they gobble yes. at you. I think you're right. I think you're onto something. So it's like they give you a, a buck, hope. A buck that's 200 yards in the woods, mm-hmm. walking by out of sight, isn't like, hey, I'm over here. Yeah, I'm over here. Yeah. You never know how close you are to success. Exactly. With turkeys, you do. You know. There are birds here. Yeah. They were headed my way. Yeah. They and were, now they're not. They were just out of sight. <laughs> and now they're gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and how many how many turkey hunters' mornings go like this? They get set up. The turkeys gobble. They, go, they maybe even gobble back at you. Turkeys fly down. You never see turkeys all morning. Yeah. Like, hunts over... I don't know what happened. They they flew the other way yeah. for whatever reason, you know. I had a hunt on. Oh. This would have been two years ago, I think. It was right after the first year I took in after moving down to Bolivar, and I'm in this spot that if you plopped ninety percent of people down here and asked what state they were in, Missouri wouldn't be in the top ten. Like yeah. it just does, like it looks like Colorado. Like, huh. real, like, rocky hillside with, like, cedar, like, yeah. trees and stuff. Where's yeah. this at? Uh, I'm not going to tell you oh, that. Don't, I had a blowout no. spot. It's not. Don't be a, a, just, a piece like, of public Northeast ground. Missouri, Northwest Missouri. Down around Baltimore. Down around Baltimore. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just a bit, like, not the whole piece. Like, just yeah. where I was sitting. It's like, wow, this is really strange looking for this area. I need to see that spot. Yeah, it's cool. Anyway, so we're walking along. Heard a bird gobble, got set up, had him come in. I mean, he must have been within, I'd say, within 40 yards for sure. Mm-hmm. And goblin answering us, just couldn't see him yeah. because of a little lip on the hill. Yeah. And I was hearing the air reverberate in his yeah. chest. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, like I haven't been that close to that many birds that are gobbling and spitting and drumming and making all their noises and stuff. I've heard it before, but when you like really start picking up on those different notes, like yeah. you know he's in your bedroom, like he's mm-hmm. right here. Yeah, and just never even saw him. Mm-hmm. It's like moments like that where you're like, it's gonna come together. It's like he's right here. He's gonna pop his head up any second. Yeah, and it just you. He's gobbling, gobbling, gobbling. You don't hear anything. You mm-hmm. wait. No more answer. Yeah. Stand up. And then, no bird. and then sometimes though you stand up, and he was right there. Yeah. And then he sees you, and then takes yeah. off running. Yeah. I've had that happen. I've had that happen with turkeys and with coyotes. Yeah. You're yeah. like, well, hunt's over, and you no, it's not. Yeah. Well, it is now that you stood up. But yeah, yeah. turkeys are. They do. They they do the same thing to my dad. They get him all sorts of jacked up even more than deer he just yeah. loses his mind i i love hunting them they frustrate me to no end just because like i feel like it's so hard to figure out what works and what doesn't mm-hmm. or like i could be the I, it's hard for me to tell i'm not a particularly good caller i can make turkey noises but i don't know like do I need to be calling louder? Do I need to be calling quieter? Do I need to be calling more? Do I need to be calling less? Because, like, I don't know, maybe if I t- kept a journal of, mm-hmm. you know, what works and what doesn't over decades, I'd figure it out. But it just seems like 
sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes yeah. you can get away with having really crappy calling mm-hmm. and it totally works out. Sometimes you can have the best calling in the world and they're just not going to cooperate. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to know what's going on in their head mm-hmm. and in their situation, whether or not right. they've got are a bunch hens? of hens. Mm-hmm. Are there four toms? It's a social are, game. Yeah. Is there one? Like, yeah. you have no idea what's going on if you can't see it. Mm-hmm. And, like, here in, in this part of Missouri, or, mm-hmm. you know, down where I killed that bird this year, you don't see them until they're within range, pretty much. Like, they're just not that visible. Yeah. Because they're, they're spending a lot of time in the woods. Now, in areas like Colorado and Nebraska that you can see birds from a lot longer, longer distance... Mm-hmm. you might be able to get a little better. And I think those birds, from what I've heard of guys going out there... I've heard Nebraska's easy. Yeah. 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 And Mom called wild turkeys up to her house by like, goofing off and gobbling. I don't know if I told you that. Uh-uh. Yeah. Like, just, like, with her mouth, goofing uh-huh. off, and turkeys came up to the house. That's funny. Yeah. So it's like, that kind of stuff doesn't happen in this state. Like, they're pressured, they're afraid of people, they're very wary. Mm-hmm. So... And I've heard pretty serious turkey hunters talk about that. Like, if you can consistently kill birds in, like, Arkansas, Missouri, mm-hmm. you're pretty good. Hmm. Especially on public yeah. land. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would believe that. We can talk about that uh, hunt, and then we can have the, any closing remarks. The, the your first turkey? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, so, I was out, this is on my parents' farm up around Maryville. And, uh, I was out shooting my bow, went inside for whatever reason I looked up and in the horse pasture there, there were some turkeys walking, which is very rare for that farm. Like, I think this may have been the first time that I would even seen a tom on the farm. And so I looked up, was like, for sure, at least one of them is a tom. It looked like a tom, a jake, and a hen is what I thought it was, but I wasn't sure. Well, the way they were walking, I was like, those birds are going to roost right on the field edge. It's pretty certain. So, kind of watched them. They walked into the woods. I didn't see them fly up, but I knew, like, where they're headed, I know where they're going to be that morning. So then, I called Graham, I was like, hey man, I got some birds roosting, you should come over and well, turkey hunt in the morning. Yeah. He was on board for it. And I woke up to pounding on the door the next yeah. morning. Well. Because I had overslept my alarm. Yeah. And Graham was outside. It's yeah. already like first light. Like we should be set up at this point. The birds yeah. are gobbling in the woods. Yeah. When and, I got out of my car, they gobbled. Yeah. When I rolled up to your house, I got out of my car. Boom. They gobbled. And so I'm like texting you, calling you, knocking on the door, pounding on the door. And at this point, I've gotten better about it now. But at that point in time, like I was notorious for in my sleep turning off the alarm on my phone. Mm. And like I got different alarm clocks mm-hmm. and I would set it across the room. Mm-hmm. So I would have to get up and do it. And this alarm clock would only ring. Like I like found out after the fact because I would wake up late to stuff would only ring until or for like a minute and then it would stop mm. and so once my subconscious brain figured that yeah. out just it would just for it, a minute it wouldn't like it wouldn't wake me up anymore yeah 
it was like this a very strange time where I'd set like 10, 12 alarms. Yeah. And I would wake up and they'd all be shut off without having any recollection of having done it. And so that's what happened that morning is I had shut off in my sleep a bunch of the alarms. Okay. And then you woke me up. So anyway, long story short, I got up in time to get out there just in time. We yeah. we got the decoys set up. Mm-hmm. We're on this little peninsula of woods that kind of jutted out into the horse pasture. I'm on the right, Graham's on the left. We've got three decoys set up. Mm-hmm. And right about fly down time, a little breeze kicks in, and the decoys kind of start pit, spinning perfectly, which is really, really important. Um, decoys, turkeys get kind of skittish about if they're not moving much. Seems like that little bit of movement really goes a long way to getting them uh, convinced that it's another turkey. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really see much until uh, from that point, of them flying down, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't see anything until I shot the bird, pretty much. I did see one bird fly down behind us before hmm. the other ones did, I think. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's I'm, I might be confusing a hunt. I am. That's a different hunt. Uh, but yeah, so you tell them what happened, because you could see, because you were further to the left, and could so... see kind of past the, the point of the island. Yeah, so they're, uh, they fly down into the pasture in front of us, and I want to say there's two or three hens and a tom, and I really didn't even have to call. I think maybe I called a little bit right at first, and he answered, and then I just left alone, because, I mean, they were able to see our decoys from the roost, and they flew down and then just worked their way right to left. And, uh, it was a nice, nice big tom, and I think I was like, all right, like, shoot him anytime now, and you were like, I can't see him, you know, and then finally he stepped up enough. And he, like, I mean, you could see him, like, spitting and drumming and stuff, and, yeah, um, strutting, I didn't see any of that, like, I, because of the way we were sitting... I don't know if I was set back a little bit from you or what. I don't remember exactly how it worked, but I couldn't couldn't see until he kind of stepped right in at I don't know probably thirty yards, mm-hmm. and I think you clucked or putted or something, and he stuck his head up mm-hmm. and shot him. Yep, really Tom. nice Tom, thirteen inch beard I think something like that, mm-hmm. inch inch and a quarter spurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the cool thing was, is like right after we killed that Tom, like a huge storm front, like just rolled up from the Northwest Mm -hmm. and it was just like a wall of clouds. Yeah. And we got some good pictures of that. And, um, and it was just a cool hunt. I mean, a lot of times I feel like with turkey hunts, you just, there's a, there's luck involved, you know? And so by the Mm -hmm. end of it, you're just like. How did you know? How did we pull that off? Yeah, well, and that so was, that was no exception. No, that was definitely one of them. It's like getting out there in time, getting set up, even though it was fairly light without them seeing us. Mm-hmm. Having that little bit of a breeze kick up at the right time. Because if I remember right, what happened was is those hens. What you told me anyway. Uh, was those hens kind of came in and skirted the decoys mm-hmm. and kept going. 
mm-hmm. and I think there was a Jake, mm-hmm. and I think the Jake turned in mm-hmm. to come into the decoys, and that Tom saw that Jake doing that, and he's like, oh, I'm going to go and check them out. But mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Well. So when we upload this, we'll have to uh, upload some pictures with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And people can peruse those. So. Yeah, we can definitely do that. Uh, we've we've had a lot of good memories through the years turkey hunting together. I watched you shoot a hen, a bearded oh, hen with yeah. a bow. That was a really fun hunt. Yeah. That Tom hanging up at three hundred yards, all hen up out in that field, and then. We had another Tom right behind us. We're like wondering what's going to happen. And then I looked and I was like, hey, Graham, there's turkey right by the blind. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, is it Tom or Hannah? I'm like, I don't know, but it's got a beard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. She yeah. had a nice beard, like eight inch beard or mm-hmm. something. Real like pencil thin, but mm-hmm. it's still really, really cool. Yeah. And let's see. All kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. Lots of fun memories. Taking Raylan out so far. Mm-hmm. Like today. Like I said, and he loved him to death. He's a bit of an anchor from time to time, but man, <laughs> seeing the look on his face, you know, it's worth going through the hassle. At least every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Better. should we call it good? Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Check us out at tail-chase.com. Let us know if there's any people that you'd like uh, to see on the podcast. We'd be happy to uh, bring some guests on. Or if you have any questions, email us at thetailchaseguys at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and happy hawking.